Amen. I'm thankful that uh, Tristan, most people his generation would not even know the song Sweet Hour of Prayer. I'm thankful that he would choose that to play for an offertory. So that's great. 2 Timothy chapter 3. This morning, 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're headed into the third week of the competition for your heart. Actually, we're going to go to chapter 4 to start. We'll get into chapter 3 some, but I want to start on chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Now, this was a message to a young pastor, uh, obviously here, named Timothy. Paul wanted him to know that the Christian life and the Christian ministry were not going to be a bed of roses. There was going to be some affliction involved, and we're going to look at why. So 2 Timothy 4, verse number 1. I charge thee, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant, in season, out of season. That means when it's popular and when it's not popular. It's probably not going to be popular today. Just letting you, just letting you know up front. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come, and it may have arrived, when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers, not preachers, teachers. Because that's what's popular. In fact, I almost brought a stool to sit on today. Because that's what they do these days. Having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I fought a good fight, I finished my course, I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love is appearing." Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me, for Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica, Crescens to Galatia, Titus unto Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. Let's pray. Father, would you work today in our hearts as we talk about how culture The very world, the cosmos, is competing for our hearts. And it's so deceptive. It's so tricky. And it sneaks in and it moves us and it causes us to change what we think and what we believe about you. I pray that you'd unite our hearts as one as we look at the message. Guide us now. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you listen as Miss Rochelle Tilford sings before the message today? blessings we pray for peace 
Comfort for family, protection while we sleep. We pray for healing, for prosperity. We pray for your mighty hand to ease our suffering. And all the while, you hear each spoken need. Yet love us way too much to give us lesser things. Because what if your blessings come through raindrops? What if your healing comes through tears? What if a thousand sleepless nights are what it takes to know you're near? And what if trials of this life are your mercies in disguise? We pray for wisdom, your voice to hear. We cry in anger when we cannot feel you near. We doubt your goodness, we doubt your love. As if every promise from your word is not enough. And all the while, you hear each desperate plea. And long that we'd have faith to believe. Because what if your blessings come through raindrops? What if your healing comes through tears? And what if a thousand sleepless nights are what it takes to know you're near? And what if trials of this life are your mercies in disguise? When friends betray us, when darkness seems to win, we know the pain reminds this heart. This is not, this is not our home. It's not our What if your healing comes through tears? And what if a thousand sleepless nights are what it takes to know you're near? What if my greatest disappointments or the aching of this life is a revealing of a greater thirst this world can't satisfy? And what if trials of this life, the rain, the storms, the hardest nights, are your mercies in disguise?
Thank you, Rochelle, for that. Appreciate Rochelle. She's a tremendous young lady, and she works during the week with our two-year-olds in our daycare center, and does a great job with them. Enduring afflictions. Not really the kind of fun most people are trying to find. That's what she was just singing about. Uh, the raindrops in our lives, the, the trials, the disappointments. And yet we just read, as, as Paul shared with young Timothy, that a successful Christian walk would contain just that, afflictions. Plus, some added persecution on top of it. To be a successful soldier of Christ is going to require holding on, enduring, and suffering. And on the other end of the passage, verse number 10 read it again. For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. So we have Timothy who is staying true to his call. And we have Demas who walked away from his calling because he was swayed by the culture. He fell in love with the world. And I want to show you this morning that it didn't happen intentionally. I, I meet so many people who are at a place in life that they never intended to be. And they just got there. And then life's messed up and it's bad and things are horrible. And this with the husband or this with the wife or this with the kids or this with my life. And I didn't intend to be there, but that's where I am. And that's what we want to talk about this morning. Culture is something that seems to seep into our lives without any notice. We don't even have to seek it out without it becoming prominent. It just sort of happens. Just by a show of hands, how many of you were born before 1950? Before 1950 here in the room today. Good chunk of folks. How many of you were born in the 1950s? Born in the 1950s. Pretty good group right there. Yeah, my dad was born in 1950. And the year, that year, 1950, started off with Mule Train. As the number one song, the Frankie Lane version, Mule Train, right? Uh, Gene Autry knocked Frankie down from number one when he debuted a little number in the first week of January called Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Maybe you've heard of it. Nat King Cole had a song called Mona Lisa in July. Some of you could sing it by heart. Um, beautiful song. The year ended with Patty Page singing about a Tennessee waltz. I don't even know that one. Yeah, right there. The seventh most popular television show that year was The Lone Ranger. The first six, I have to admit, I've never heard of. They were all like the radio music theater. or what? I don't even know what they were. Um, Minute Rice, Disposable Diapers, thumbs up on that one. Green plastic garbage bags and metal lunch boxes all came on the scene in 1950. How many of you were born in the 1960s? 1960s? Not very many. We need to pick up the crowd of the 1960s. Um, my dad's youngest sister, Rachel, was born in 1964. And the Ford Mustang was introduced that year. Did I get an amen? Um, yeah. Um, four British young men calling themselves Beatles went on the Ed Sullivan show. The top five television shows 1964, Bonanza, Bewitched, 
Gomer Pyle, oh golly, uh, Andy Griffith, and The Fugitive. Now those are shoes, shows that you could actually let your kids watch today. Now, those are the number five, top five shows. Dean Martin, a guy named Dean Martin, Dino, and Roy Orbison, they managed to knock the Beatles and Beach Boys off the top spot on the charts for a week at a time with Dean's was... Everybody loves somebody sometimes. So you guys know it, right? Culture. Roy Orbison sang a song called Pretty Woman. Who said it? Somebody knew. Somebody knew right there. Pretty Woman. Yeah, he sang it. Uh, here were the three top quotes of the year. Please don't squeeze the Charmin. Let your fingers do the walking. And Skipper! That's from Gilligan's Island. Um, in 1972, how many born in the 70s? Born in the 70s? Yeah, right there. Okay, when I, when I came along in 1972, the Cowboys won the Super Bowl. Okay. Um, the, the Lakers won the NBA championship. Nothing runs like a deer. And, hey, Mikey, he likes it, were the top quotes. Time's man of the year was Richard Nixon, two years before he, res he resigned in disgrace. Bounce dryer sheets and Carnival Cruise Lines both opened for business. The top three shows, All in the Family, Sanford and Son, da -da 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 -da, um, and Hawaii Five-0, top three shows. That was the original one. Um, Melanie Sofka sang her way out of the charts with a song that went like this. I've got a brand new pair of roller skates. You got a brand new key. Right? You got a brand new key. I got a brand new pair of roller skates. You got a brand new key. The Temptations in December sang Papa was a rolling stone to get on the charts. Uh, how many born in the 1980s? 1980s? 80s people? Children of the 80s? My youngest sister, Sharon, who just had a bouncing baby boy herself this week, this past Wednesday, named Jaden Cole. Um, what, yeah, this is exciting stuff. But she was born in 1982. And I actually remember some of the things from that year. I remember the 49ers winning the Super Bowl. <laughs> I remember the Lakers beating the 76ers and in the championship, and the Cardinals won the World Series, and Penn State, little old Penn State, stunned Herschel Walker's Georgia team in college football. Um, the quotes, when it absolutely, positively has to be there overnight. Anybody know what that was for? FedEx. The other uh, quote of the year was, E.T. phone home. <laughs> that was it. Um, Strawberry Shortcake and the Smurfs hopped onto the scene. The top TV show was 60 Minutes. The song that topped the charts the longest, longest was Eye of the Tiger by a group called Survivor. Yep. How many were born in the 1990s? Wave at me. Look at these children. Oh, my goodness. Wow. We had a staff meeting yesterday, and uh, one of the things was the year he graduated from high school was 1990, and there were a couple of us in the room. And one of our teachers in our school said, that's funny, that's the year I was born. She's a teacher in our school. I almost fainted. <clears throat> By the time our son Cody was born in 1997, 
culture had drifted even further. Um, just give you a little background on that year. The Packers and the Bulls won championships. The quote of the year was, I'm the king of the world. And there are some things that money can't buy. For everything else, there's MasterCard. John Denver, the singer, died in a plane crash. Jimmy Stewart, the actor, who was the last wholesome guy left, died of old age. And Princess Diana, you may remember, died that year. Top five TV shows, Seinfeld, ER, Veronica's Closet, Friends, and Touched by an Angel. And I know you're thinking out there, Pastor, what in the world? Why go to all the trouble to tell us these things? Here's what I want to illustrate to you. You can catch culture without even trying. You don't even have to make an attempt. Some of the first songs that your little toddler will sing are commercial jingles from television and radio. You see tabloids every time you walk into the grocery store. There are billboards, magazines, newspapers, current events stories. We are bombarded from every side by culture. And since Al Gore invented the internet, it's really been insane. You can be in, you can really can be immersed in culture like never before just by existing on planet Earth. Unless you shave your head and go on a mountaintop or go live in the swamps, you are going to be knowing some of the things about culture. There's an awareness that's going to happen. And so let's start by saying this in your notes today. And the notes provided if you'd like to follow along. Here's the first thing I want to say. It's getting worse. It's getting worse. It's not just an illusion. It really is getting worse. Look back to chapter 3, 2 Timothy. <clears throat> Look what it says, verse 1. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent. That means without self-control. Fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. Now, I want you to skip down a little bit to verse number 12. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution, but evil men and seducers shall wax, look at this, Worse and worse. Deceiving and being deceived. Deceiving and being deceived. Waxing worse and worse. And I have to tell you folks, perilous times have definitely arrived. I can't even tell you the songs at the top of the 2013 charts because I refuse to utter the trashy titles of them. Modern pop culture has a nation so mesmerized by nothingness that a former Disney star portraying vile acts at an awards show, or who's on Dancing with the Stars, or what's the latest on some certain celebrity are the biggest news items 
of our day. While we have gangs killing hundreds of people in Chicago, 3,000 unborn babies murdered a day in our nation, and a chief executive in the White House that says things like, God bless Planned Parenthood. And most of us aren't even aware. 23% of Americans know what quantitative easing is. 77% don't even know that the government's just printing more money, hundreds of millions of dollars a month, to buy our way out of debt. Can I just... What, does that even make any sense? No, it doesn't. We don't even know the big issues of the day because pop culture has become so prominent. The modern 19-year-old can tell you who three of the singers are on The Voice, but cannot tell you the governor of his own state, the vice president of the United States, or even one Supreme Court justice. And we wonder why we don't have the votes to do anything in the United States. We have a Senate who promised up front that if we pass this stack of paper Affordable Care Act, that we will definitely make sure that we keep it, and now they've exempted themselves from it. And culture is getting worse and worse. Now, we could be alarmed at this, and we could freak out about this, and we could spend all our time on this, but here's what I know. God already promised that in the last days, perilous times shall come. And so instead of worrying about the perilous times, we have to get our focus back on what God wants us to do. What do we do? How do we combat it? How can we possibly keep pure hearts in the midst of this disgusting world? And I'm glad you asked, because we're going to move right into the second thing, which is in the Scriptures, look at verse 14. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. I love verse 15. This is my prayer for every kid at Centennial. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Isn't that a great verse? Here's the, the second part of the message. Stay in the word. Stay in the Word. I mean, you guys are looking for a magic pill, right? How do I take the purity pill to stay clean in this world? Stay in the Word. Sometimes we think that we could remain unspotted from the world with this magic formula. But there's not one. Staying clean requires enduring afflictions. But it all starts with how we view and how we treat and how we live God's Word. I mentioned that culture is so very deceptive. We said last Sunday that Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. He is blinding the minds of those who don't believe, and some who do. The, the rotten devil, do you know he has a counterfeit for everything that God gives us? And you take anything that God does, Satan has a counterfeit for it. He has counterfeit religious books instead of the Bible. He has counterfeit places of worship. He has counterfeit pastors and teachers and leaders. 
He has everything that God has covered with a counterfeit. And the only way to spot the counterfeit quality of the culture is to be firmly grounded in the Holy Scriptures like Timothy was. So verse 15, he's, he's grounded. He grew up in the Scriptures. And it's not just enough to grow up in the Scriptures. You have to continue holding on to them. Look at verse 16. <clears throat> You've probably heard this verse before, but look how powerful it is. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. I love that. I love that phrase. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. You know, I would not give you a dime for a theological education in modern times that teaches you that some of the Bible is not inspired. <clears throat> I, that's what they're teaching in seminaries. Here's my question. If some of the Bible is not inspired, who gets to choose which parts aren't? Who is it that gets to get their scalpel out and start cutting Scripture out of God's Word? Do you know that's what we do in our lives? Some of us are A-OK with some of the Bible. Uh, we're gung-ho with some of the Bible. But the parts that hit our hearts, we just ignore those parts. We have our pet Scriptures that we love. Oh, that verse is so amazing. It touches my life. But the verse before it that doesn't touch my life, I'm leaving that one alone. The verse after it that hits me upside the head, I'm leaving that one out. God's Word, it's given by inspiration of God. And, look what it says, is profitable. It's profitable. Now list four things here. For doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man or woman of God may be complete, perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. So the whole inside of you, designed, purposed by God, can be fulfilled with His Word. Now, I want you to know that sometimes this is where we lose a crowd on a Sunday morning service in a Christian Baptist church is when we start talking about things like the Bible. Right? Pastor, tell us some more stories. What happened in 1967? That's the year I was born. See, when we talk about the Word of God, sometimes people check out. They're bored with it. You know, that's what was promised. Is that in the end times, in fact, we read in Life Group this morning, Jeremiah. You know what the first thing that went? They were casual toward God's Word. They're kind of bored with it. It didn't make that much of a difference in their lives. And I have to tell you, doctrine is not a theory. Doctrine's not a good idea. Doctrine's not a grand opinion. Doctrine is what's right. That's what it is. And sometimes we think doctrine is this theological term. Doctrine just means what's right. That's all it means. What's right. You probably have some doctrine at your house. You probably have some doctrine at your school or your workplace. Things that are right that you have to do. God gives us this. But then reproof comes along. And reproof comes along, and you know what it tells us? What's not right. So <clears throat> there are people who say, well, God just didn't tell us many things in the Bible that aren't right. Um, we don't really have many lists that list sin. Apparently, you have not read the Bible much. The Bible is full of 
reproof. It's full of things that we should keep out of our lives that aren't right. But then we have correction. Correction helps us get things right. Instruction helps us keep things right. The Word of God is the tool needed to stop culture from overtaking your life. I promise you're going to be hit by culture every day. So it's imperative that you're in God's Word in every day, every season of your life. I love what Jerry Falwell used to say about the Bible. Here's what he said. If you're too busy to read the Bible every day, then you're too busy. Isn't that profound? If you're too busy to read the Bible every day, you're too busy. You need to cut some things out. See, we won't be able to discern the culture without God's Word. So we have to get in the Word. But then look at 2 Timothy 4 and verse number 5. Look at what it says here. But watch thou in all things. We have to be on the watch. We have to be on the watch. For those of you who are in a little bit older generation, I think you're going to understand what I'm about to say. There are things that are societal norms to kids today that we would have been ashamed to even talk about when I was younger. And now it's a societal norm. By the way, I'm officially old. Um, One of our high school girls was in the hall holding her ears the other day. And I asked her what was wrong. She told me she was hearing this high-pitched sound. I don't hear anything. And she proceeded to tell me, and I quote, Well, old people can't hear it. (laughs) Those were the exact words. You know, that... I don't know. Do you remember the first time when somebody called you old? I guess the pain lessens over time. but, But look, kids have a responsibility to choose and follow Christ on their own. But I have to tell you, folks, we can't really blame them for the societal norms of their generation. We can't blame them for it. The reason things are so bad for them is that we, as families, as churches, as a nation, have let things slip. That's why they have the norms they have today. It is perilous out there. Once again, culture attacks our hearts in a most subtle way through drifting. I want you to see this in the Bible. Our life groups looked at a verse in Hebrews 2 this morning, and you've got to see this for yourself. Look what God put in the Scriptures for us well ahead of us needing to know this. Look at Hebrews 2. At verse number 1. And if you underline in your Bible, there's a There's a phrase in here that you should underline. Hebrews 2, verse number 1. Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. Say, well, pastor, how does culture slip in? How do things change? Look at verse 3, it tells us. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? You know how things change? They change through neglect. You know all you have to do to ruin your car? Neglect it. Right? Never change the oil. 
never check on the transmission, never do anything. Just drive it into the ground. You want your house to fall apart? Neglect it. You want your marriage to fall apart? Neglect it. You want your relationships with your kids to fall apart? Never go in their room, sit on their bed, and talk about life with them. Just neglect it. Just put your head in the sand like an ostrich and act like everything's going to be fine and neglect your life. Can I tell you, you would be like 95% of society. Right? That's what people do. They just neglect life. And we can't do that spiritually. Most Christians who fall in love with the affairs of this earth don't do it intentionally. But whether it's on purpose or by neglect, they are adrift. And when you are adrift, you will go wherever the wind takes you. Your life will be blown all over the place by the culture. So sad to see people have their lives blown off course. Just because they brought the anchor up and they weren't tied off anywhere and they just got blown all over the place. And the wind took them. And now they've hit something. And they come in and they say, I don't know how my life got here. Right? I don't know how I became a single mother. I don't know how I became a drug addict. I don't know how our marriage fell apart. I don't know why our kids don't love God. You know, it's neglect. That's all it is. If you neglect, I, this is so profound, it's a kid's song. They sing it in, in nursery. They sing it in beginner church. You know what they sing? Neglect your Bible, forget to pray, and you'll shrink, shrink, shrink. You remember that one, Sunday school? Neglect your Bible, forget to pray, and you'll shrink, 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 and you just keep... That's life. That's exactly what happens. We don't intentionally do it. We don't draw a chart and put a spot out there and say, you know what? Two years from now, I want my life to be ruined. That's my dream. That's my goal. I don't ever talk to 17, 16-year-olds who are about to face life, and they say, Pastor, my dream is, by the time I'm 19, to totally lose my testimony, to have my life washed up, and to be ruined. But neglect will get you there. See, your life is on a path, and that path goes to a destination. And if you don't intentionally get on God's path, the other one's going to take you to ruin. And God's word is so profound. This passage is so intense because it says, listen, if we just let it slip, that's all it takes. Be on the watch. Paul said, I've finished the course. Why? Because I was on the watch. Keep the faith. You're going to have to do it extremely intentionally it's going to require running the opposite way of cultural drift. Can I tell you the best thing you could do for your family? Turn off primetime television and read a book. Do a puzzle. Play a game. Pray together. 
Read a Bible story together. Do something. Because cultural drift by neglect will ruin your life and your family's life. We have such a short time with our kids. <laughs> our, our baby Sophie, six months old today. What, what happened? I was giving her a bath last night. She's trying to hop out of the bathtub. It's like she couldn't even move just a while back. I, you have a kid who gets taller than you. It's happened to me quite often. But where did it happen? When did it happen? How, how did that? And it's gone so fast. You are 62 years old before you know it. And you think, what in the world happened? Where did it go? I'll tell you this. If you want your life to be the same as it is five years from now, do nothing. Neglect it. And it'll either be the same or it'll get much, much worse. You have to live the Christian life on purpose. If you don't, it'll slip. It'll be gone. You can uh, look at our culture and, and people, people who run the opposite way of culture now, you know what they're labeled as? Extremists. Old-fashioned. Just not up with the times. Stick whatever label on me that you want. I'm not going to allow culture to define the way I live. God has already given me the definitions He wants for me. I'm reminded of a quote from Proverbs. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And if we don't have guardrails and we don't have boundaries for our lives, we're going to crash. All it takes is neglect. I don't know if you've ever fallen asleep at the wheel scared yourself really badly or even had an accident. Some of us need to be scared into a spiritual awakening. We can't allow culture to define these things for us. You know, all it takes to be considered insensitive or mean these days is to really believe God's Word is true. See, it's okay if you're a Christian. You, you could say you're a Christian as long as you go with the culture and your actions. It's okay if you're Nancy Pelosi to be considered religious and abortion crusader at the same time. It's okay to hear your religious leader talk about things at church as long as you don't live like any of it's really true. But if you decide to live out God's truth, you are an extremist. You're a fundamentalist. If you don't buy into cultural norms like homosexual marriage and abortion, you are considered, I promise you, these wording has been used, the equal of a terrorist. That's what you're considered. All you have to do is say, I believe God's Word, and I actually want to live God's Word, and now you're a terrorist. And people, it sways them, it moves them. Even the new Pope of the Catholics said this week that his group shouldn't be obsessed anymore with preaching about abortion, homosexual marriage, and contraception. He said it's not necessary to talk about these issues all the time. Can I explain what happens just one more time when we don't address issues? Those issues cause the entire civilization to drift. If you don't address issues in your home, you will lose your kids. 
Do you know that kids, they naturally have sinful hearts. And if you don't have boundaries, you don't have guidelines, our boys, every once in a while, they come in in the kitchen and sit down on the counter, and we just talk about stuff. And uh, they say, well, Dad, I'm thinking about doing this. And, and uh, we talk about, well, what should the boundaries be? And you think about where this could lead and where it could head. And we're not perfect parents. And our boys are PKs. And in church world, that means you're headed for doom. That means you're going to be a two-faced hypocrite. And we don't want them to be that. We want them to be real, authentic men who lead homes that are real and authentic. How does it happen? On purpose. It happens by watching what you're doing. You ever heard somebody say, better watch what you're doing, you're going to run into that. You ever seen somebody back up into a pole? You're, wait, hey, there's a pole. Whoa, and it does no good. They're not watching. I sometimes wish I could do that with Christians. I get a megaphone out. Hey, hey, you're about to back into a pole. Your boat of your life is about to go over Niagara Falls. But neglect and drift just takes you there. You've got to be on the watch. Now, all of this brings us to this final thought in verse number 10. 2 Timothy 4.10. I read it once. Would you look at it again? It's just a, such a big verse. It explains why somebody left the faith. Look what it says, 2 Timothy 4.10. For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. Demas was not a reprobate, folks. He wasn't a rebel. He wasn't this guy who intended to stomp on God. He was a devout believer. He was one of Paul's fellow laborers. In fact, he's mentioned as a fellow laborer of Paul, both in Philemon and in Colossians. Demas wanted what God wanted, up to the point where he also wanted what the world had to offer. And over time, his love for culture grew to the point that he abandoned not only his friend Paul, but his Savior. You might remember from week one, no man can serve to masters. There are a whole lot of people who call themselves Christians that think they're doing God a real favor by showing up to church or by tossing a tip in the offering. But their hearts are obsessed with the world. We had a great discussion in our life group this morning. Here was the question. We said, what, do, what does the average Christian do during the week? You know the conclusion was we came up with? The same thing as everybody else. The average Christian on planet Earth in 2013, what do they do from the time they get out of church on Sunday morning until the next Sunday morning? They do what everybody else does. They go to the same movies. They watch the same shows. They listen to the same music. They read the same magazines. They're interested in the same things. Do we not love this present world? I have a hunch that many of us are already Demas, and we just don't know it yet. 
we have been taken captive by Satan and his worldly humanistic philosophy, and we just haven't awakened to know it yet. I know it's easy to think, hey, I really love Jesus. I want to be a good Christian, but I want to know what's going on around me. Is there anything wrong with that, Pastor? I don't see any harm in being aware of things. I can do both. I can follow Jesus and just be aware of this world. I'll just tell you again, when what you do for entertainment is the exact same thing as the world does, I wonder who you're following. When the way you make decisions is the same as the world does, I wonder who your master really is. Here's what the Pew Forum Research Poll told us last year. It's unbelievable. 93% of Americans said they believe in God. Out of that number that said they believe in God, 8% said they use Bible principles to make decisions in their lives. Did you hear what I just said? 8% of the self-proclaimed Christians said they actually use the old black book and the principles in it to make decisions in their lives. Say, Pastor, well, what are the other 92% doing? Bad news, whatever they want. They do it based on emotion and feel, and what do I want right now? And they live for the moment instead of forever. They live for the immediate instead of the indefinite. And I hate to lump us in. We are nice people. It's a good church. But I have to tell you, I think we're lumped in. I'm pretty sure we have a whole lot of Demases in the room today. Maybe we just don't know it yet. The enemy loves nothing more than someone who says he or she's a Christian or a Christ follower, but really... They're totally in love with the world. And when that happens, Satan's got the person right where he wants them, completely without influence for God. Sadly, many of God's people are totally adrift. They just haven't noticed it yet. And culture wants to take over your heart. If you're going to fight it, you're going to have to stay in the Word of God. You're going to have to be on the watch. Intentions aren't good enough. They're not going to get it done. You have to follow through. There is a competition for your heart going on today. Today it's going on. There's a battle for your soul going on today. Right in this room. My question is, who's winning? Who's winning the competition for your heart? Well, pastor, I'm a Christian. I, you don't have to worry about that. not what I'm talking about. What I'm saying is, who's leading your life today? Because if it's the culture, if it's your emotions, if it's you, it's going to end in destruction. I hate preaching messages that are all bad news. I hate it. But you know, if we don't warn, we fail to do our job. That's why Paul told Timothy, preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort. And I hope I've done it with all long suffering today. I, I love you. I love your family. 
But five trillion times more than that, God loves you. He designed your DNA. He made you fearfully and wonderfully. And God did not make you to drift. God made you to live on purpose. So I I just want to ask this one question today. We're going to close. Are you living your Christian life on purpose today? Or have you drifted? Have you drifted? Let's bow in prayer. As we bow this morning, I'm not going to try to psychologically make you come and pray, but I, I just want to do this today. If you sense that you're drifting... If you sense that somebody in your family is drifting, if you sense that some of your relationships are drifting, and you need to talk to God about it, Brother Casey's going to play, and we're going to have a song, and I, I want you just to come before God and say, God, help me to pay attention. Help me not to neglect my life. Help me not to neglect the relationships, the parenting, the issues of my life, but to stay on course to watch, to be strong. God, would you work in this place today? There may be those here today without Jesus Christ. And I pray today that they would know that we could show them from the Word of God how they can be believers in Jesus. But I pray for all of us here today. Lord, we're reminded Demas, he was somebody who actually wanted to serve you. He was actually a a fellow laborer of Paul. He was a churchgoer. He was involved. But eventually the world won out and he forsook you. I pray that you would help us today not to neglect the salvation you've given us. Oh, by your mercy we pray. We ask it in Jesus' name. Would you stand as you stand? The altar's open. Do what God wants you to do this morning. Would you come?